Now, for the information of all hands. Welcome to Episode 6 of the 1MC with Master Chief Jason Vanderhayden. Today, our special guests are Captain Jonathan Carter and Commander Rola Deicher from APM, and we're going to talk about assignment process. Thank you, Chief. I appreciate it. Looking forward to this all-important topic. I tell you, when I was uh, when I was coming up, one of the most important things and, and one of the things that gave me the most ang- anxiety, but also kind of the most excitement was assignment season every year. Well, I, I, you know, not every year, but, you know, every every four years or three or I don't think I spent any more than three years anywhere. But it was uh, it was something that the family and I kind of looked forward to. We would plan for. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I never had a bad assignment. I never once, I've been all over the place. I went places I didn't think I wanted to go, uh, but I never had a bad assignment and everything seems to happen for a reason. And if you make the best of it, I tell you, there's no bad units in the Coast Guard. They're all good and they're all doing good work. So I'm excited to talk to, I've known Commander Deicher a very long time. She was my CO back at the fisheries uh, school in, in the, at, the, at the Regional Fisheries Training Center up in Cape Cod back when I went to fish school. And then Captain Carter it, it came from Cutter Forces before this, and he has uh, been been, you know, really leading the workforce and in, in senior levels for a very long time. And I'm glad to have both of them here. So the first thing, uh, Captain and Commander, I kind of want to talk about is just kind of the overall process. How do how do assignments work? How do it's it, you know it's not just an assignment season for you all. It's assignment season for everybody else, but for you, it's a year long process that has a lot of different variables and you have to consider a lot of factors. And we've got EPM2 here with Commander Deicher, but there's an EPM1 component, there's a workforce forecasting, there's all kinds of things that go into the assignment process uh, on a yearly basis. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely, Master Chief. And first of all, thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Um, we're excited to, uh, to be, uh, I've been using the term, back in people's faces again as we're transitioning to a post-COVID world. So we're on the road again, we're visiting units again, and, and, and to be able to do this podcast, I think that, that, that complements that very, very well to get back into people's faces and talk about what is an exciting time for everybody, which is receiving orders and moving up and moving up quickly within our organization. Right. So you, you talked about it being exciting, you know, every couple of years. I think for us at EPM, it's exciting every single day <laughs> uh, because it is a year round process. And, you know, I, I just got here this past summer and I keep using assignment season, assignment year, all these different terms. But then I realized we have non-rate assignment officers who are cutting non-rates, you know, every every class, every week. So uh, it's always an exciting time for us. Um, There is is an assignment year. There is an assignment year. We're already looking at assignment year 22 right now. Um, That year uh, really begins in April uh, when the previous assignment uh, year ends. Um, and it's a time for us to really reflect and capture lessons learned on the previous assignment year, and then really moving right into what I think is the most important part of our job, which is doing the roadshows, and more importantly than that, doing career counseling. Um, When I talk to our assignment officers, um, we have AO University that will take place next month, Um, but the most important thing we do is career counseling. Uh, because if we do that right, if we do mentorship inside the lifelines right, the slating part, that should be the easiest part of, of, of our jobs. Um, so 
I think this is actually the most exciting time of year for, for us in what we do, as opposed to that November, uh, you know, kind of through February timeframe where we're actually cutting people, people orders. You know, the assignment season is, there's a lot of things that are, that are predicated on how, how that works. The advancement process is overlined on top of the assignment season. Why? Because we advance to vacancies and we have to use advancements as a tool to fill gaps within our service. It's been that way forever and it's a way that works. It's, it's tried and it's, and it's true. So there, there's a lot of different variables there. You know, there's m- other services do it differently. I think we do it the best. To tell you the truth, I truth. I we've we've sat down and we've met with with other services, and I like the fact that we transfer our workforce one time a year uh, through through one uh, assignment season. Um, so that's where we are right now. And Rula, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Yeah, no. I'll, I'll, I would just add, you know, we are working with the members, but this is the time also that we're working with commands and we're getting commands input. Uh, to, to keep track of, you know, who is leaving, who might be re-enlisting, who's not re-enlisting to make sure. So right now is when we take a look at our billet list and our, our slate and we build the slate out. So we're taking input. Uh, we have commands coming here. We are talking commands. We're talking commands when we're on the road. Um, and then around September, we will publish an initial an initial list um, so commands can verify it. And then we're right we're right in into it in October. Nice. So, so September's, a, September's a busy time. Uh, commanders, should members be, uh, is this a time when, mem- what should members be doing about this time of year? I, I think, well, members should look and see if we have a roadshow coming. Um, uh, we've, we've done, I think, 28 already, um, gotten some bigger participations from some units, some smaller participations for other units. But I will say if a member thinks that if they're going to transfer an AY22, they need to be reaching out to their detailers now and setting up uh, career counseling if they're taking the service-wide exam. They need to be reaching out to their detailers to see what is available because you're taking the service-wide exam. We'd like to see your name above the cut. Yeah. And uh, talking to the detailers now let you um, sort of plan out what is, because it is different each year. You know, it's also a great time to do some self-reflection, Yeah. you know, to get some mentorship, uh, you know, from, from your mentors. Um, we have a new Coast Guard-sponsored mentorship program. That's right. Uh, the chief's mess, using all the mentorship tools inside the lifelines, and then bringing your family members into those discussions, your spouse, your significant other, um, your mom and dad, who, whoever it is, to start crafting your professional desires and how you get there through this next assignment season. Um, and so that's what I want members doing right now. I want them looking internal. What are your desires? Because we do take members' desires into consideration. Oh, yeah. And and I know we always highlight service need, Master Chief, um, but in its most basic form, it's where you want to go based off of where you compete against your shipmates in a four-year marks multiple. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to, to, to do here. And that's how we select the best qualified candidates for those jobs. So what are your desires? And sometimes that's the hardest question to answer. It is, it is. And, and I really appreciate the plug on the mentoring program. Uh, our our mentoring app. I I encourage everybody to use that, especially if you are up for assignment. You know, when I was an FS2 back in the day, I, you know, I took the service wide and somebody said, hey, I think you might make it. You might want to call the detailer and ask them if they think you're going to make it so you know whether or not to put in for E5 billets or E6 billets. And Unfortunately, I didn't. I didn't do that. I got to my next unit. And the detailer called me and said, "Hey, congratulations! You're advancing. Uh, you get to here's a list of ships to to pick from." And I was like, "Oh, 
oh, I knew I should have called the no. assignment officer ahead of time and, and asked him. So uh, I highly encourage everybody to reach out, make contact with your assignment officers. They're really great people. Yeah. You know, that no, there's no assignment officer that hasn't been in the field, that hasn't walked a mile in the people's shoes who they're assigning. And I can tell you, I know them all, and they're fantastic. Now, they have a job to do, you know, and they talk to a lot of people. But please, if you think you might be advancing, it's probably a good idea to touch base with the assignment officer. Sometimes they'll give you some good news and say, hey, I think you're probably going to make it. You know, just for those people that have been around a little while, you, you know, that are listening, there are a lot of variables that come into play kind of last minute that, that maybe uh, – affect the, what billets come open and what don't come open and you see something on the assign, on the shopping list and it looks like it's going to be there and then all and then you come back and it's not there. I just want you to know Commander Deicher her team they get inputs from all throughout the Coast Guard with ship commissionings and decommissionings and you know growth of the workforce and then the, the changes and sometimes we don't find out about that until kind of a last minute. So you know, don't be discouraged if you oh so you know this billet went away or something. You never know. There's so many factors, right? You mentioned, Captain, that you do a uh, kind of a hot wash every year on how the assignment season went, and you're I know uh, EPM tries to give people the best quality of life to be flexible and to and to create the best process possible. Do you see any changes, anything coming uh, to the assignment process that maybe you can talk about or, or maybe, you know, we're tracking pretty good right now and, and there's not a, a whole big need for change? You know, as far as the timeline, I don't see any big changes coming with, with respect to the timeline. You know, I think kind of Coast Guard wide, we are excited about getting back out and doing the road shows again. Yeah. We, we talked about generating command concerns. Um, I remember the day when uh, I, I was XO of a cutter one time and I visited EPM yeah. to give, hand carry my command concerns and look people in the eye and talk about the sailors on our ship and what we needed on our ship. I want to get back to that. Yeah. So that's some of the stuff that uh, uh, Rula and I have been encouraging. We're, we're always looking at afloat opportunities uh, for women. Um, and there's some big things coming down the pipeline with respect to that. 65 WLRs. Uh, CG1 just approved an exception to policy uh, to be able to allow women to serve on board those platforms. Uh, DCO and DCMS just signed a decision memo talking about the 140 uh, uh, WTGBs and, uh, and making modifications to allow them to support female afloat opportunities. We're assigning uh, women to WIDLs now, uh, WITLs, the Harbor Tugs, the 65s. Um, we have one that's reporting uh, this year. These are great opportunities for women afloat. So one of the things we looked at this year was, hey, whether you think it's a mixed gender unit or not, put in for it. Because we want to capture that data. We want to capture that data. And if those things change, we know that, that you're available to, to fill those assignments. So, so those are great opportunities uh, for us. You know, Master Chief, that uh, we've, uh, we've chartered a one-service-wide exam integrated product team. You think of one-service-wide exam and you think, that's advancements. That's advancements. That will have an impact on the assignment season and the as assignment year. Um, so the initial round of comms have gone out, an internal comms bulletin, a flag voice has gone out. Recently, a My Coast Guard article went out. Uh, that, while it's focused on assignments, it, it's about optimizing the relationship between the advancement process and the assignment process. 
we went and we did a uh, we, we went and looked back to see how many members get notified after February 1st that hey congratulations you're advancing because that's a great thing right but there's so many opportunities that you've missed in the assignment year to participate fully in that process that's what the one service wide exam is here to do is to reduce those numbers of late notifications i can't make them go to zero because there's still fallouts right. there's going to be overseas screening that people fail there's going to be disciplinary stuff that sure. takes place um, all these other variables that impact oh my goodness there's a vacancy and we've got to find a body to fill it but for the most part i you know the one service wide exam i fully uh, support that. It's for our E4s looking to make E5s, E5s looking to make E6s, because everybody else who competes via the service-wide exam is already on a one annual service-wide. Uh, so I think we're going to learn a lot from that. Yeah. And I think we're going to be able to look at that and then go back and look at the timeline that we do for the assignment year and figure out, is that right? Can we back that up a little bit? Or do we have it ab about right? So so we're going to learn a lot from that, and, and, and I'm excited about it. Me too. I tell you, I was a uh... Kind of that happened to me. I advanced off the I, when I was making first class. I advanced off the November service wide, and that's how I ended up, uh, you know, getting the kind of a, a shorter list from the assignment officer because it was some yeah. fills that needed kind of off off cycle. So I'm excited about the one service wide exam too. You know, there's a, a lot of things that go into the decision making that our assignment officers use. That you know, assignment priorities one of them. There's a lot of there's you know your marks. There's a lot of different factors that go in. Commander, can you talk a little bit about the various factors and if any of them are weighted or not weighted, and and you know how how do we make the decision you know on the assignment when you have people that look a lot alike? We do. Um, that, thank you for the question, uh, Master Chief. You know, as we as we preach, we have you know the 14 assignment factors, but. Um, it, they, they get applied differently. And I will say the, the one that is weighted the most heavily is service need, sure. because that's what we are, we are doing. We're, we're here, we're making assignments to support the service. Um, but we do have some that are sort of, I like to call them pillars of, of, of our assignments. Um, and that, that is um, your assignment priority. Um, we, we do assignment priority. We just did our triennial review. Um, we've, we've gotten some uh, feedback on that, but every every three years we adjust assignment priority and assignment priority uh, rewards folks that take those hard to fill jobs. So if someone completes their uh, their their full tour in an, in an AP one or two unit, we want to make sure that they their desires are um, reflected in in their assignment. So assignment priority priority and performance, which is got a marks component, but there are other. There are other parts of performance as well, including command recommendation, and then if you know if if they're up for transfer. So I would say those are the those are really the big ones that we use to start stratifying okay. the, the the workforce. But I mean, I, one of the one of the things that I, I we get a lot is I don't want to put it on my dream sheet because if it's on there and I'm the only one to put it on there, even though it's at 25, I'm going to end up going there, and that is. A policy. We do not sign the position. We assign the members. Right. So if if you're the only one that put. Oh, I, don't, I hate. I'm the only one to put St. Pete on there. No one else wants to go there. It's at 25. No, I mean if you earn something that's one or two on your list and you got to go to the dependable as number one, right. that's my old uh, yeah. my old 210. So I'll I'll do a shout out there. Uh -huh. um, we're we're not going to assign you to St. Pete. It'll it'll go on a um, a currently available list. That is why it is so important. That's not on your not on your list. That's great. That is awesome because I could tell you as I go around, that is a fear that people say, well, no matter if it's on my e-resume, no matter where it is, that's where, you know, nobody else asked for it. That's where I'm going. And, and I try to tell people, no, that's not the case. We are, we really do 
you know, if you earned a, a higher assignment, we don't just go, oh, that fool right there. But you know, it's not that's not what we do. And that's why it's important for us to look people in the eye and say that. That's true. And, and you know, I have the opportunity, and I know you know this, Master Chief, but uh, to ride Polar Star down from Seattle to Vallejo, um, and I uh, and I met with uh, the enlisted workforce at, at District 11 and Base Alameda. And that was one of the things I, I was proud to look them in the eye to say, is that if you put 200 jobs on your dream sheet and number 199 I can't fill, and you are number six, you're getting number six. Yeah. You are getting number six. Yeah. And that that's, that's the way that we do business. And I just wanna, you know, I appreciate how Commander Deicher shapes that in terms of pillars. You know, everybody, you know, service need, you know, we don't throw that out there to be flippant in, in, in any way. It's just to show that, hey, there's program sponsors that identify requirements and they attach those requirements to certain billets. And we're looking for certain people to fill those jobs. And if we have a limited candidate pool, you know, we, we're going to have to have a conversation about, you know, you, you being in that candidate pool. And sometimes those are tough conversations. Um, but that's why this period of self-reflection is important. That's why mentorship uh, is important. That's why career counseling is important because it takes all of those things to create a realistic e-resume that's going to allow you to compete and, and have you compete well uh, for a billet that you desire. Yeah, that's great. Great stuff. So of those, you know, there's a couple of things that affect a, well, a, f a fair number of people, but but I'd like to just kind of get your take on, you know, as I go around, pe people say, hey, uh, I you know, what's what's geographic stability look like? You know, does does you know, what is that is is two tours geographic stability? You know, how does that how does that look and how does that factor in? Does a no cost because I'm a I'm a no cost order? Does that like maybe give me a little bit of a bump to a position? You know, what what do we what's our goal as an organization for geographic stability? Yeah, thanks for that question, Master Chief. So the you're exactly right. In policy, it says two two tours in the same geographic region. Region, excuse me. Uh, that being said, it is not an assignment factor. Um, so what we communicate to members, and then I'll let Commander Deicher add on to this, is it's part of your desire. So communicate that in the communication uh, in the comments block yeah. uh, when you fill out your e-resume. Commander, anything to add to that? I would say uh, ge geographic stability. You know, we try to do two tours. We we do maximize fleet ups. Um, when 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 we can to, to get members to the tour completion date time so you know we're not moving folks every every year but sometimes we can't help it depending on you know and it, it depends if you're going from second to first or first to chief right, right? like so that that always plays in it as well so it's a I, I would say we two tours a standard and then geographic diversity you need to look at career diversity as well so there's some ratings that are able to have a diverse career in a, at, at a same area but when you're looking at these small boat stations it's very hard for us a, a small boat station in in deny it's very hard for us to to keep you geographically stable in that region when there's just you know there's not a lot of coast guard around sure yeah that's great i, I know uh with us building out the, the the large bases in charleston alameda perhaps seattle you know pensacola la boston newport you know as we as we start to cluster our cutters and our units Perhaps that might make it ease uh, having a diverse career a little easier in, in one location, and uh, and and we're looking forward to getting those uh, those large home ports built out to give people an opportunity. If you're looking to be geographically stable, look at 
the opportunities for your rating and so and pick an area that's got a lot of diversity for your rating, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Geographically stable in Jacksonville may not happen. So, um, so yeah, so so good good stuff. Um, and then you know, co-location. We've done a a really nice job. Uh, you know, we we did we we conducted some some retention studies that really showed that. You know, sometimes uh, assignment uh, season and assignment years and, and transfer seasons can can make people make some tough decisions, and we wanted to to kind of ease that. And EPM uh, crafted some policies and and really has tried to look out for our folks uh, where where they can in terms of co-location. Um, can you manage? Can you talk about expect what what people should expect in terms of being co-located? I would just start off with, I, I really encourage people to actually look in the assignments manual for what co-location uh, is defined as, and that is uh, co-location is actually a tour length alignment policy for members e, E1 to E6 and O1 to O4. Uh -huh. um, and it's it's sort of at, not sort of, it is at that level for a reason, because when you get E7 and above, it's very hard for us to keep folks together. But we, I, I tell you what, the assignment officers bend over backwards uh, for that. I, I do have a lot of member-to-member member married married folks, and we do appreciate that that is part of the support network. So if you are looking to be co-located, that needs to be the first comment on your e-resume. You need to talk with the, the AOs. I mean, we do officer enlisted, you know, so you need to talk, your spouse needs to talk with their AO. I mean, we co-locate people with other services. So, you know, put that, the co-location is my number one priority, and then talk to the AO, and they can tell you where to best, you know, how to align your sure. your your um, e-resume. We, we've had members on the phone. They, I mean, my AOs talk to each other daily, um, and they, they work through the colas. We have members on the phone with both spouses. We'll, we'll, we can do a joint, you know, both AOs and both members together. But we really, we really, I, I, we work very hard to do that. And we do manage to co-locate folks up, above that as 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 sure. well we do or you, you know and, and i would everybody listening remember if co-location is a priority to you kodiak might be co-locating you might not be where you want to be but you will try to get you together and uh if so you kind of you kind of have to understand that that um you know we we, we got to co-locate you where we can co-locate you not where you want to be co-located so um so just keep that in mind and and remember what i said earlier there's no bad units you know there's Every place is what you make of it in the Coast Guard. So as long as you're with your spouse, a lot of times that makes things a whole lot better. Another thing I need to put out. If your spouse is an AP1, that does not automatically make you an AP1. Right. So there, right. there needs to be, um, it, it need, you, there definitely needs to be some, some synergy. You need to, the AOs, we're not marriage counselors. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. With your spouse um, and, and sort of decide where where you're you both can earn the sure. earn the jobs and, and you know if you both go to kodiak you probably are going to get a better assignment priority than two people that are not in kodiak so that's a yeah, i'm not i'm not kodiak's a great place yes yeah, yeah, we like it. it is a beautiful yeah, beautiful it's, place it's, 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 we're building houses and everything there. great and, and it's important that uh, assignment priority should be used very strategically yes um there are some you know if you're looking for an oic position you know, assignment priority isn't going to apply to that process. Uh, but if you're in the general duty slate, it does. So when we're talking about colos, when we're talking about geographic stability, you know, we, we have plenty of cases. I, I have a very good friend who just retired from the Coast Guard who spent the majority of his career in South Florida. 
He did two tours overseas. You know, he did all of these things to use assignment priority to his strategic advantage, and he did so very, very well. Um, and that's what it takes is understanding how you can use that to your advantage. Absolutely. I, I had a good friend of mine, Ryan Fallenkamp, who did – he, he kind of homesteaded in Petaluma, but he took a lot of isolated duty and a float and all that just to be able to keep his family straight. So as we talked about the factors, the assignment factors and and how we made those, how we make assignment decisions, we said needs of the service is kind of the, you know, at the front. And I'll, I'll tell you, I took a couple needs of the service assignments and it turned out to be fantastic. It turned out to be much better than I thought. Uh, and I got I got to the unit, and those were units that I was actually able to grow. You know, I had low expectations going there because I didn't really want to go there, and then it turned out to be fantastic. You know, we 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 have to fill every billet in the Coast Guard, and we have a talent management system where we try to make sure that we get the right people in the right billet with the right skill sets. Can you, can you talk about what needs of the service kind of looks like, and you know how we. Can, how, how folks can kind of try to understand that and wrap their minds around, well, I'm filling a service need. You know, everybody in the Coast Guard is a skilled player. There's nobody on the bench. You've talked about how other services assign people. They have garrison forces. They have, you know, seashore. They were, you know, we don't have that. Everybody in the Coast Guard is important. Everybody's in the game. And needs of the service really does, you, you know, kind of trump everything else. But it's But it has to. You talk a little bit about, you know, how you kind of get people mind, keep, people's mind right and needs us in terms of needs of the service you know master chief we started off the conversation talking about location and you know oh i want to i want to be assigned here i want to be assigned there um, i think it starts with and i talked about reflection i'll talk about it again is understanding uh the value that you bring it to the coast guard what the coast guard how much the coast guard has invested in you and in your skill set and then understanding that Really, every single billet in our Coast Guard, um, at least for uh, petty officers and above, uh, there are program sponsors managing those billets. Oh, yeah. They're attaching training requirements to them. They're attaching certifications uh, to them. And as EPM, as the Coast Guard's Personal Service Center, we are doing our best to meet those requirements. Right. Um, I, we cannot just assign members uh, based off a of location. So, you know, in my mind, service need is where there's, it comes into play whenever there is a significant gap within our service that perhaps requires us to uh, weigh that more than a member's desires to be in a location. Yeah. And it doesn't come up too often if somebody constructs a realistic e-resume, meaning they understand the value that they bring to the service, they understand the requirements attached to the billets that they're applying for, or maybe not applying for, but they understand the Coast Guard is going to look at them you know, for those positions. Then you can craft a realistic e-resume, have good career counseling with your, with your AO, um, and avoid... Your, for your entire career, that feeling of, well, I got assigned based off of the needs of the service. I don't want you to feel that way, right. but we do have a requirement uh, to meet the requirements imposed by program sponsors. Well, you kind of segued a little bit in terms of crafting an e a realistic e-resume. So that looks different for every rating, right? So, so what, you know, you have to look at your seashore ratio of your rating and even your rate. So, you know, it, you know, in the in the FS rating, it's or CS rating, excuse me, just to read, uh, CS rating, uh, it, it looks differently. It look, uh, it, you know, 
at E5, it might look different than E6, it might look different than E7. Um, what, you know, I, I see people sometimes that, that hang their hat on one assignment factor and craft a, an e-resume based off of, well, I have this going for me. Can you give us some kind of hints on how we can uh, help people craft a realistic e-resume? Need to talk to the AOs. And so, so that's a great idea. I would say you know, to, to call your AO. Call then, your AO and say, what does a real, I want to do this. What does a realistic e-resume look like? And the AOs will tell you realistically if you can do what you want to do. And if you can, they'll tell you how to, to do that. And I think one of the things I heard um, recently is you can play chess, checkers, or chicken with the <laughs> AO. And I don't know if you want to put that in there. No, that's not. great. I but love that. You can that. play chess, checkers, or chicken. And chess is the long, you know, the long, you know, I want to be here in my career in 10 years. What do I need to do? I want to be in this location in two tours. What do I need to do? That's checkers. And if you play chicken, no, no one wins at right. chicken. Right. Hey, that's, so, that's, that's neat. I've never heard that before, yes, but play, I like it a lot. Play chess. Yeah. Uh, so and, and it starts with, with you and what your desires are and what your long-term goals are. So in my mind, I think of a realistic e-resume, and this is straight from our roadshow and, and, and the communications that I've had with the fleet is just what Commander Dysher said, which is, you know, it starts by, by calling your AO. Because not only do they do the career counseling, you know, for your rating, they also have a pretty good idea what's coming open on that slate and what they're gonna have to fill. So I, I tell our AOs that I want you to have frank conversations with members, um, which is, yep, I, you know, I think you'll compete well there, or you know, you probably better plan a vacation because that's the only way you're, you're, you know, you're gonna get to the location. Um, and and we, don't, we don't say that, again, to, to, to turn members away. We want to be, give as much information to people as we can. We want to be fully transparent uh, and, and give them an opportunity to shape that e-resume that will be uh, that will be successful in what they're trying to accomplish. So I think a realistic e-resume is one that uh, the comments clearly articulate the members' desires both professionally and personally, and then two, the billets that they're applying for match. So if you tell me that your number one professional goal is to get a deck watch officer qualification, and you only put one type of platform in two states. That's not a realistic e-resume because I can't guarantee you that even if you're the best sailor in the world, that I can get you on one platform and those two, one type of platform in each of those two types of states. Um, but if you put every single platform where somebody for your rating and grade is eligible to get a DWO qualification, that is a realistic e-resume. So... What I heard you say, call your call your assignment officer and talk to them about what they what they think will be an e-resume, a realistic e-resume. The other thing I, I want to address real quick too is, you know, you might say, you know, I, I called my assignment officer and they told me one thing, and then the next next uh, next tour I, I called my assignment and they told me something completely different. I would tell you that they probably didn't. It, it, things may have changed, you know. The assignment process and the way we assign people and basically the overall theme of assignments has not really changed throughout the years. But sometimes there are situations that, you know, you know, situations that change, missions that change, home ports change, you know, th those types of things change, which 
you know, necessitates an AO giving you maybe some different career advice than you got last time that you talked to a, uh, talk to your assignment officer. And, and they're all, you know, they each one has their own personality. I'll, I'll tell you, if you, for those listening, the assignment officers are in a, in a space at headquarters here where they can literally all see each other. They can stand, if they stand up, they can all kind of talk. They could yell from one end to the other and everybody could hear each other. So they, they can easily talk to each other and, and they, and they do. Uh, so, and, and they share ideas and they, you know, they work together. There's an assignment officer university where they all kind of find out what the, what the priorities are that year and kind of work towards it. So I just want you to know there's a lot that goes into it. And just because you got one a career advice from one assignment officer and different career advice from another assignment, doesn't mean that the process is broken or anything like that. It just means that things probably changed. Can I add to that, Matt? Yes, please, quick? please. One of the things I like to say is I'm here from the fleet, I'm here for the fleet, and I'm going back to the fleet. That's right. And that's exactly what we're instilling in our uh, assignment officers. Um, it's part of the reason why you see more E8s on the watch floor. And yes, we call it a watch floor because a lot of times that's what it looks like when they're all sitting there on, on the phone. Oh, yeah. These are passionate men and women who uh, are fallible just like all of us, and they want to do their very best. Yeah. People are calling them. If you're listening to this and you're not, you're an anomaly, <laughs> pick up the phone and call them. They should be overly accommodating with you. If not, I want to hear about it. And, you know, we want to facilitate that communication. Because, again, if members are doing everything right on their end, they're getting the proper mentorship, they're doing the self-reflection, and we're doing things right on our end, which is effective career counseling based off the slate for that upcoming assignment year, figuring out who goes where should be the easiest part. Yeah. They, I can tell you from personal experience, they all do really care. I was scared to death to call my assignment officer because I thought I'm going to say the wrong thing. Or, but I can tell you, you shouldn't be. Uh, don't don't be scared to, to contact. I'm not saying pick up the phone and call every time, but send them an email. Find out who they are. You can check on the portal. It's not hard to find who your assignment officer is. And then send them a note and saying, hey, I'd like to call you or I'd like to have a conversation with you. I promise you, you'll find them to be very approachable and very and, and very accommodating. And, and, and if you don't call, we still know who you are. Because <laughs> you're still getting assigned. <laughs> yeah, you're still getting assigned. And, and guess what? You know, your command has probably spoken to us about you and your command concerns. If there's been a roadshow, uh, perhaps we talked to your, you know, your leading chief or, or, or the chief of the boat about you. Um, so there's there's all these things we 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 don't keep files on people outside your 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 e, EIPDR, uh, but we know that you're up for assignment. We know at least a little bit about you. Tell us what your professional desires are. That's what we're missing, and that's what we want from that phone call. Right. Yeah. You know, I used to people used to joke and say, find out who your assignment officer is and find out their home address and mail them flowers to their house or something. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but it it you know you talked a little bit about the comments block. I never really knew what to put in the comments block. I didn't know how to get, how detailed should I get? Should I get that, you know, my spouse is going to college and that there's a this particular, I, I just didn't know. How detailed do you think folks should get in terms of their comments on their e-resume? How much does that really count? Yeah, so so it, it does count. I mean, it's, it is a tool for you to communicate whatever you want with your assignment officer. I personally would start with my professional desires. And again, Commander Dysher talks about uh, chess checkers and chicken. You know, I would say play chess in that block. So I want to know 
what you wh- where you want to be 20 years from now. Yeah. You know, I want to know that you understand the milestones and the requirements for your specific rating to be able to make you eligible to compete for advancement, eligible to advance, and to be competitive uh, when it's your time to sit in front of the Master Chief Advancement Panel or your time to get looked at for an appointment to Chief Warrant Officer. So highlight those for us, and then when we do the career counseling, we'll be able to, to shape that. Absolutely. Tell us what's going on with your family, you know, if you want to. Just keep in mind that the 14 assignment factors, you know, still absolutely apply. That helps us as well whenever we end up doing career counseling because we can kind of talk through some of those things if they rise to the level of, hey, are you registered for the special needs program? Because what you're communicating could be, you know, rise to that level. And it's a requirement to be registered in the special needs program uh, if you meet those certain criteria. So that's what I would personally put in there. And it's all, again, it all comes together with your billet choices to determine whether or not that's a realistic e-resonance. It should really tell a story. But they should complement each other and it should tell a story. And just the AOs read it, but if it's a lot, you're asking the AOs to read a a lot. So I would say keep keep it pretty succinct. Right, (laughs) right. Yeah, the most important parts. But I I, I agree with you. Um, I think they do kind of go together. And, And if... If they're looking at a couple people that are fairly close together, fairly even, and you can make a compelling reason why you might have might need to go one place or another, that that would that could help. There's there's one part of assignments that that doesn't get talked a lot about, but is critically important, and that's special assignments. Uh, we're kind of in the special assignment season. We we you know some people aren't sure. Well, if I put in for a special assignment, can I also put in for my for a regular assignment? And then if I don't get special, you know, how does can you coach people a little bit on how they should go about applying for special assignments? I mean, well, so most of our special most of our special assignments involve a, a, a panel, right? And so a lot of times, you know, if you if you think you might want to do a special assignment, go for it because we do those first. We uh we uh, it's Mr. Baldueza, yes, and he completes his slate, whatever slate it is before um, my my general detail. So we have the recruiting panel coming up. So uh, you. you You'll sit before the panel. The panel will will provide a a, a list of rating, and then at, at that point, Mr. Baldueza will talk with each AO, and you either get released from rating or not. And so, um, if you didn't ever apply for recruiting, you're not going to have that opportunity. So I would always say apply for your special uh, special assignment first, and then um, then it, it the general detail comes later. I don't know if that was helpful or not. Yes, yeah, that was. And 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 you. You will have that choice if you if you get selected uh, for a special assignment and something has changed in your personal life and you feel like you can't accept it. Okay, we're going to move you back down to the general duty slate if if that's what you want. But the the thing that I want members to keep in mind is you apply for a special duty assignment, you're being compared against those outside of your rating, maybe for the first time in your career. So something to keep in mind. And the important aspect of that is making sure you have a good record. Right. Making sure you have a good record. So you and I have spoke about this a lot, Master Chief, yes, with uh, with the Master Chief Advancement Panel. Yes. Um, and officers, usually from the time of their commissioning, are you know force-fed the need to maintain a proper uh, military record. Um, we haven't done that within our enlisted workforce, and it's time. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, enlisted members need to understand that it's their responsibility. So CO writes us up for something good. You know, the the, the SPO's the one that's supposed to put it in our record. But are you going back and looking and, and, and requesting a copy of your record to make sure that it is up to date, that somebody didn't accidentally delete something uh, whenever they went to, to, to put that in there? So, you know, is, is there a, a requirement for how long or, or how often or how frequently you should update or look at your record? Uh, no, but I would say before you go in front of a special assignment panel, absolutely. Absolutely. Before yeah. you go, you know, if you're if you're getting looked at for uh, the Master Chief Advancement Panel, absolutely. So, and it starts really with day one from your from your enlisted career. Is I tell you, it's critically important, and I, I would say if, for all those listening, if you want a special assignment, pull your EIPDR, make sure you know what's in there. It's it's very important. We're we're working on a software solution that should make that easier but in the meantime do it uh get make sure you know what's in your record uh and and if you want more information about special assignments it's it's chief warrant officer jamie baldueza there's a captain baldueza too that's his brother Uh, i email him sometimes yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's there's they're great opportunities but they you have to as going back to captain's uh comment you have to be strategic about them because there's good depending on what what your rating is or even specifically your rate when is a good time to 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 go out and do something outside of outside of your rating i think there's always good reasons to do that and it I think it gives you a better appreciation for what we do uh, within the rating yeah. I think it's good to go outside your rating take a look and then come back in and it, it I encourage everybody to try to do a special assignment if they can I was a Chiefs Academy instructor and I almost didn't get released from rating my detailer calls me and says hey I'm sorry I'm shorthanded I can't release you from rating and I don't know what happened but a couple weeks later called back and said actually I can release you and and you're going to go to be a Chiefs Academy instructor which was which was terrific so you know it's not a given but uh but if you don't apply you'll never get it one one more thing it's kind of rare doesn't happen very often but it's a little mysterious and that's our humanitarian transfers you know some people you know have a, a a significant life event where you know, they, they really uh, they have to make a decision whether or not they're going to get out or, or temporarily ask for a humanitarian assignment to go take care of something. Can you just talk a little bit about, you know, how that process works if you if you can? I, I will. I'll, I'll start with that. I, I think a humanitarian assignment, it's, it's a great tool for something that happens to a Coast Guard member or a member of their. Uh, actually, it's normally a member of their uh, their immediate family. Um, that is way outside of what other family Coast Guard members have to deal with. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, per the policy, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at it, but we, it, we look at it six months TDY. When we get the request in, there are, there are a couple of um, points we, take, uh, we, we, we do take a look at is, is a member's uh, presence required to relieve uh, that, that hardship? And, and is, there, is there a path forward? So a lot of times, and and we'll I'll, we'll start with the six month TDY hums, and we'll check in with a member and see what what is going on because I, I sometimes there there's there's a lot of sad things that happen to mm-hmm. to Coast Guard um, to Coast Guard members and their families, and yeah. we wanna we wanna support them yeah so support them through it. So normally when the hums requests come in, it, it's it's between the hums and a hardship discharge. So um, we we like the hums uh, a lot of times. Folks just need a couple of months to get a, a plan in action so they can become worldwide assignable. 
again, so the, the Hums is there to sort of just put a, a, a pause there and, and allow the member to get the support for his 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 or her family that that, that is needed to to so the member presence doesn't isn't required to be there. And we have members that are going through extraordinary um, right. things right now to support to support their family. Yeah, thank you for the support for that. I tell you, you really you really help people not have to make that tough decision to get out. I, I learned something new. I thought Hums was an automatic two year, two year, and, and I didn't realize that, that it could be shorter than that. I know you have to be able to, it can't be a long term, it's, it's, it's you know kind of a max of two years, I think, and then, and then maybe you know after that, you, you have to be able to be assignable again. Right. Otherwise, you probably do need to just request to be discharged if that's not the case. And so this has been fantastic. I've learned a lot and I really appreciate your insights. I want to talk about one last thing as we close, because I think this is the kind of for me, this was the, the it took me a long time to get this through my head in terms of assignments. I always looked at, at location. You know, my wife and I would sit down even with our kids and we would say, OK, where do we want to go? And I, I, you know, I don't know that that, you know, thinking back. I, I, you know, when we didn't go where we wanted to go, it turned out fine. And so I, maybe I should have thought about this a little sooner, but, you know, um, it, it's not really about location. And if you really, if you want to go far in the Coast Guard, if you want to reach your potential, you have to kind of trust the process a little bit. You kind of have to take the assignments as they come and, and then make every assignment the best. Can you, can you talk a little bit about how people hang their hat on, on geography, but it's, but in the officer corps, you don't, that's that won't get you where you want to go and i think that that kind of comes over into the illicit side a little bit with assignments too yeah it, do, it does and that and that's a great point master chief you know i, I i've spoken about program sponsor requirements I, I use that term a lot because as you mentioned i came from 751 yeah. you know i have yet to see a requirement for advancement that says you need at least one assignment in d7 <laughs> you know it just it just doesn't happen right you know we're talking about qualifications, certifications, uh, time and service, time and grade. Those are those are the requirements to advance. Um, I, I recognize that location is absolutely important. It's important to me. It's important to my wife. Um, you know, my last command was a 270. And I remember telling uh, my wife, I want to go to a 270 followed by a 210. And then I let her prioritize the location. And we listed every single available 270 followed by every single available 210. I would say that the expectation for our enlisted workforce is not dissimilar. What are your professional desires? And list every single opportunity there is on that shopping list to be able to obtain that and then stratify it in terms of location. That's, that's um, great advice. So, so I, I know location is important. Choosing schools, terribly important. Right. I understand that. We understand that. But your first priority as a member of the Coast Guard should be the requirements associated with your rating and your professional desires, followed by your location desires. And if you do that, you are going to be a more productive uh, enlisted Coast Guardsman and Coast Guardswoman, and uh, your duration in our Coast Guard is going to be for a longer period of time, I assure you that. Right, and, and, and I think, you know, sometimes we get hung up on location and, and you know, we've got to kind of trust that, you know, the assignment officers really do have your best interest in mind and they really do try to get you into positions that are going to help you, you know, grow as a, as a Coastie. So 
uh, you know, if I, it took me many, many years, but I, I think I finally figured out that it really wasn't about location, even though I thought it was just about every time I transferred. And, you know, I, I want to thank both of you. You, you know, you got a very difficult job that, you know, trying to make as many people happy as you can, but knowing that, you know, I got to tell you, when I got orders, probably a third of the time, I wasn't happy with where I was going until I got there and kind of lived in it for about six months. I was like, ah, this is pretty good. I actually like this. Uh, so I will go back to, and finish like I started and say, I never had a bad assignment in my career. I, I, I had assignments I didn't initially think I wanted to go to. Uh, and I want to applaud and all this, all the folks in EPM and EPM2, uh, the assignment officers, uh, you, you do a, a terrific job of meeting the needs of the Coast Guard, trying to meet the needs of our people and working with them to, to, to give them the best quality of life. And uh, you both are tremendous leaders. Uh, Commander Dyscher, I want to wish you best of luck in your next assignment in command. You're going to be amazing. Uh, you're, you're terrific. And, and, uh, and Captain Carter, thank you for all your hard work with with uh, EPM, the total, you own the total EPM enterprise and you're doing a magnificent job, both of you. Thank Thanks, you. Master Chief. Thank, Thank you, you very for your much. time, Master Chief. Thanks.